In today's episode, we pick up where we left off last time with Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 32 through the end, verse 52. In this passage, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection for the third time, and he explains to his disciples the true meaning of greatness and service in his kingdom. He also heals a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, who recognizes him as the son of David and follows him on the way to Jerusalem. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. We're live this morning, so feel free to call in with your comments or questions to 1-800-730-2727, or you can email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on Facebook. I'll try to get your question or your comment out on the air. But for right now, let's go ahead and welcome our guest for this morning. It's returning contributor to the show, the Reverend John Lekomsky. He's a pastor emeritus and also the co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio. Good morning, Pastor Lekomsky. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good morning, Pastor Boo. Good to talk to you again. Yes, you too, as always. How has life been treating you? Well, you know what, Pastor Boo? I know where you live, and it's cold. You've already had snow so we've left you. <laughs> We're not oh, up no. in Minnesota anymore. We decided we better head down south where it's a little bit warmer here in St. Louis. So, uh, but God love you. <laughs> well, I've spent some winters in St. Louis too, so I'm not sure that's a, all the way better, but yeah, probably a little yeah. better than what we're going to yeah, get. Yeah, a little better. That's true. If, if we were smart, we would go down to Florida, Arizona or something. But <laughs> we, we got family here, so that's as far south as we get, and then we, our, our, our migration stops. But anyway, yeah, no, we're doing we're doing real well. So well, that's and wonderful. Excited about the fact Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming. It's a great time of the year. Yeah, I mean, it's especially great for you. Are you are you having to do a lot of services? Are you going to be filling in for folks? Are you going to be working at churches? Are you going to be enjoying your yeah, family? Yeah, surprisingly so, because as, as you kind of alluded, there usually people are doing their own churches at Christmas time. Very seldom do people take vacations and everything. But yeah, actually, I'm. I'm preaching uh, several times. Uh, for one, I'm helping uh, my, my, my own pastor out because, you know, did you look at the calendar? You have, you will have Sunday morning, you will have Christmas Eve, you will have oh, Christmas yeah. Day all at once. <laughs> so I have said, especially noted that. <laughs> yes, yeah, as I'm yeah, doing my planning, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of church for Christmas, but you know, it's a lot yeah. of opportunities to be in God's Word, receive His gifts, so you can't beat that even though no, it is kind of like no. a mini Holy Week. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and even worse, because it's all compressed in, in, in just it two days, rather than be spread out over the week. But you're right. No, it's great, and people will be there. And what a wonderful day, you know, Jesus Christ is born. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. great things to preach about. Well, we have some great things to talk about today as we get into Mar- the second half of Mark chapter 10. Um, before we get in, though, let's just go ahead and start with a prayer. And please lead us in that prayer. Well, Lord, again, it's a joy every time, every time we open up your word. Uh, we, we're going to find some things that make us uncomfortable, but that's okay. We, we need to be reminded that we are just a bunch of miserable sinners, especially when we're also going to hear such wonderful things about how you love sinners 
and what you've done for sinners by sending your son. So open our minds and hearts to rejoice in these things and find comfort and, and peace in the midst of a world where there's so many struggles and trials going on in the world and even amongst us personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we get right into it? Because we have quite a few things to cover today. And so last time we were with Jesus, last time yesterday when we were in the Word, uh, Jesus was, well, he was uh, giving us the story of the rich young man or the example of the rich young man. And now he and his disciples are on the road again, heading up to Jerusalem, starting with verse 32. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. All right, so just stopping right there, you know, that's the first little section here. Uh, Jesus is again telling him of his death and resurrection. He even includes the resurrection. After three days, he'll rise. But we know the rest of the story. The disciples really had a hard time understanding that this was going to happen. So, 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 so there's two things here. Well, we'll throw in three things because this isn't the first time that the heading in my Bible at least says Jesus foretells his death a third time. <laughs> so it's, it's not like he hasn't said this before, like this is news to them. Um, but, but so the two things are, what, wow, what a nice selection of, of a section of Scripture you've given us, because it starts with these people who are walking behind Jesus, they're following Jesus, but they have no idea really what's going on. Uh, and in fact, that's expressed, isn't it? There's amazement, there's fear, but there's not really any clarity. Although Jesus has been clear, there's no clarity in their mind why they are following him to Jerusalem. And yet our story today will end with a guy who will also follow him to Jerusalem. And that guy knows absolutely why he's following him. So that'll be fun when we get to the end. We will see what the reason is that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. But at least we know what he's going to do when he gets there. And, and man, isn't it detailed? Mocked, spit, flogged, killed. And, and yet, as you alluded to, when we get to the next section, the disciples apparently are not paying attention. <laughs> you know, no, and I just went in one ear and out the other. And I think they're pretty surprised anyway, or at least amazed, because Jesus is going to Jerusalem in spite of all that bitter opposition that he's going to face. But then again, he's also been facing tons of opposition. So I think they're also pretty surprised. It says they were amazed. They were amazed and they were afraid because he's going into, well, for him, of course, this is the holy city. This is where it all has to take place. It's where the temple is. But it's also the home base of all those who would see him dead. So Jesus is demonstrating not only a commitment to fulfill the mission, but also great bravery, at least from the perspective of the disciples. And I think it's also interesting to point out that they're going up to Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. now, Jerusalem yeah. is always up, pretty much from wherever you go in, in Israel. It's one of the higher peaks. It's not the highest, but spiritually it's the highest. So they always talked about going up to Jerusalem. Of course, he's going from Jericho, which is 4,000 feet lower than Jerusalem. So he's literally going up. And, and, and the reason there's these mixed emotions is not surprising because you're right. 
They, they understand. In, in fact, he's already been warned, you know, you probably don't want to go to Jerusalem. Uh, and yet at the same time, remember now, he's surrounded by all these other pilgrims who are going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And they're really excited about him going to Jerusalem. And in fact, at the beginning of the next chapter, they're going to be throwing down their robes and waving the palm branches and shouting Hosanna. So naturally there's mixed emotions because, well, it is a, it is a frightening thing. And yet, wow, you know, Jesus has fed the thousands and he's got the power to do miracles and calm the storm and even raise the dead. And well, maybe this will, but of course, see, that's the problem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? And as we'll see in the next verses, they don't understand. Although he's been so plain about it, they still are thinking this is going to be the great triumph going into Jerusalem. And of course, it, it will be, but not the kind of triumph that they were thinking of, is it, Pastor Boo? <laughs> no, not not at all. And you're right, in the next few verses, we're going to see exactly how much they misunderstand it. Sticking around here for just a minute, though, he tells that he's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. Now, in this specific case, that's the Romans, but Gentiles simply just means nations. It just means all non-Jewish people. Am I correct in saying that? Uh, Let me see. Is it ethnos? Yes, you're right. It is ethnos. So, yeah, that's exactly what it means. Yeah, yeah. Which is the same thing that you get at the end of Matthew, uh, where he says, go make disciples of all. Uh, well, it could be translated Gentiles again, could it? But it's ethnos; it's all the nations. Yeah. Um, and you know what I think is interesting too is if you divide the whole world into two groups—that is, Jews and non-Jews—as the Jews did, then we see here when Christ goes to the cross, he goes at the hands of everybody, both the Jews to whom he first came, and of course the Gentiles to whom he also came. So it's the Jews handing over to the Gentiles. So both are culpable. I know throughout history, people uh, have liked to lay blame at the feet of, say, the Jews or even the feet of, say, the Romans. But we really see that what Jesus is saying here is that even despite all those who accepted him, ultimately, he's rejected by the world, uh, despite the fact that he's come to save the world. Um, There's a show called The Naked Archaeologist that, that I wouldn't necessarily recommend He's really good. Uh, he he's, he's comes from a Jewish perspective, and, and he doesn't hide that. And when he does Old Testament stuff, that's it, really, really solid because you get more information that this, this isn't something made up. There's all kinds of historical locations and, and uh, uh, digs and whatever that, that verify. But, but it's funny because even as a Jew, he wants to say that the Bible— was trying to blame the Jews, and he goes into lengths about how, oh, you know, uh, Pilate is, uh, uh, he's, he's, uh, he washed his hands, so it's not his responsibility. And, and yet I'm thinking, well, you obviously aren't reading the New Testament, because exactly what you say, the New Testament doesn't let anybody off the hook. Right. Everyone's responsible for Jesus' death. Are, are Jewish people responsible? Yes. Are, are, are the Roman people responsible? Of course they're responsible. I'm saying washing your hands and say, well, it's not a, No, no, that doesn't get you off the hook. You knew what no. you were supposed to do, Pilate. You didn't do it. And here's the thing. Even his own followers are responsible, right? Because mm-hmm. they, they, they'll deny him, betray him, abandon him when he needs them. So, so, and isn't it funny, though, that's what I'm saying, that, that the people you would think who would, wouldn't want that, image of the Jews as the ones being guilty, and yet even they foster that image. And, and I'm just telling you, anybody who reads the Bible knows that Jesus Christ came for the world, 
And it is actually everybody in the world who needed his salvation, not any one particular group. Uh, and it is interesting, like you say, usually that word ethnos does refer to the non-Jewish people, but there are instances in the Bible when he talks about the nations, and he's including everybody, including the Jewish nation. So, yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. that's a good point, Pastor Bruyel, especially in, in this particular time where it seems like you're, you're either you either hate the Palestinians or, or Palestinians or hate the Jews, and Christianity has nothing to do with that. And so please, nope. people, if you want to take those positions, don't involve us in that. Because <laughs> that's, where, where did they start? Where did they always start, Pastor Boo, when they would go out in their missionary journeys? They always started with the synagogue. They always started. Right. Oh, that, yeah. that was always God's intent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, and, and yeah, as you say, in terms of conflict in the Middle East and Palestine and and uh, Hamas and Israel, you know, I mean, you can have your own political opinions about that. Uh, but we all have to admit that both sides need Jesus, <laughs> and, and that's yeah. I think that's where that's about where we can leave Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But I will say, as they're heading into Jerusalem, as Jesus and his disciples are heading in, you already alluded to it earlier. We both did a couple times. The disciples just don't get it. He literally says he's going to be handed over. He literally <laughs> says he's going to be condemned and and put on trial and killed, and then he even tells them he's going to rise again. But then what happens next? Let's start with thirty-five. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. I'm just going to halt, just pause right there. They asked him for to be on his right and his left, in your glory, are they thinking of his glory in heaven, or are they still thinking that he's going to set up a kingdom of glory right here on earth? Well, I, I think that we can pretty well establish that they're thinking about the glory of the kingdom here on earth, because even after everything's over, that's what really took them. Even after his suffering, death, and resurrection, they come up and say, are you now going to establish the kingdom of Israel? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's interesting. Let me just, you know, the Eighth Commandment says we're supposed to put the best construction on things. Uh, because, you know, you and I look at this, and, and of course, I, I, I love this. I love this, Pastor Boo, because I always love when I find myself in the Scripture. And here they come off like just, just a bunch of numbskulls. And, and believe you me, I've been a numbskull more than once. <laughs> okay. But, but it, it, to put the best construction on this, uh, Chrysostom, Chrysostom has an interesting argument that, 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 yeah, they knew he was talking about his death, but they thought he'd establish the kingdom first. And then everybody dies sooner or later, you know. But he's going to get the kingdom established first. And then at, at that point, we want to be on your right and left when you establish it, regardless of what might happen later. The other thing in their defense is, you know, Jesus did say they would sit on thrones. He did mm-hmm. tell them that. And, and of course, at this point, these are the guys who have the best chance of being at the right or left. It used to be Peter. He used to be the number one man. You know, it's like, like the Republicans are trying to get sorted out now. Who's going to be their candidate? And for the longest time, it seemed like it was going to be Peter until, of course, Jesus again talked about his suffering and death. And Peter said, oh, well, this will never happen to you. And, and the Lord said, well, get behind me, Satan. So it's kind of like he lost if there was a if there was a presidential debate, he lost that debate. Uh, <laughs> right. so, so 
we can see these guys think, well, okay, here's our time to kind of step in and, and uh, you know, take our position. But, of course, none of that really excuses the fact that they just have no idea he's not going to Jerusalem for the glory. Okay? But that's that's what's still on their mind. And, and boy, Pastor Booth, that is so true of me. Sometimes I just think that's what my life is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about glory. And right. I get a little frustrated with the Lord when he doesn't give me the glory that I think <laughs> I deserve. And, and yet, of course, no, uh, for everyone listening to us, if you joined up because you thought this is about glory, no, it isn't. It's about, it's about love. It's about service. It's about sacrifice. It's about faith. Uh, and, and there is some glory in that, no doubt. And, of course, the greater glory that comes in the future uh, but probably not now. There won't be a lot of glory right now, just a lot of love and care and, of course, the compassion of God and the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's said that Christianity flourishes under persecution, not that we would want to be persecuted, but it, no. it tends to. And I wonder if that's because there really is no illusion of glory in those situations. You know, when Christians are in charge, then you have, you know, princes and kings and everybody who are Christian. But when you're under persecution, there, like I said, there's no there's no illusions of self glory or importance above, of course, God's mission. And and I also wonder if it's fair to say that this sin continues. Well, okay, let's let's be nice about it. Let's say yeah. it's misunderstanding. This misunderstanding continues today because we have very faithful Christians who still believe, though, that that the point of Jesus' mission is to come and set up a kingdom here on earth. You know, they and they may debate within themselves over whether that thousand year kingdom is going to be before or after raptures and everything else. But all of that is is a well, I was going to say a very new understanding of the end times, and it is. But it seems like it's kind of finds its origin here with this misunderstanding, where they think that it's all about setting up a kingdom on earth, despite how many times Jesus says, "My kingdom is not of this world." And, 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 and Pastor Booth, think of all of the pain and the suffering that has gone on in the past and is going on at this very moment over in the Middle East, simply because people are still looking for that to happen. Right. And, and there's nothing in the Bible. No, no, that, that city served its purpose, as we will see. But, but that purpose is done. And in fact, God kind of established that in 70 AD. He came in and he destroyed the temple and it hasn't been rebuilt since. And, and the point is, we don't need that temple anymore because we have the holiest temple of God, which is his presence in his son, Jesus Christ, and now amongst us in his word and in his sacrament. So, yeah, you're right. But it's a shame. And you're right. And, and I'm not saying that any of those Christians are going to go to hell. I'm no. just saying, man, I think you're really, really mistaken. And you're right, it goes back to this this idea that somehow there needs to be this earthly, physical glory. And and here's the thing that just occurred to me, Pastor Boo, because I actually looked at what, what you had yesterday. I don't always do that. And didn't Jesus pretty well establish uh, in your text yesterday, it's not about what's on this world. No, no, you're going to lose everything that you have in this world. But believe you me, what you will get in the next is a hundred times better than anything you've had here. So I, I don't want any glory here because it would just pale in comparison to the glory that the Lord has prepared for us. Well, Jesus has some pretty strong words in response to them asking this question, but he eases them into it. We're going to pick up with verse 38. <laughs> Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? 
or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Let's pause there. So a couple of things. One, I, I do like how he just says, you know, listen, what you're asking, you don't even understand. And then they prove yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're yeah. able. Yeah, we can do it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all in. You know, fake it till you make it. We're, 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 we're left and right hand people. And Jesus basically says, well, I hate to tell you, but you're right. But it has nothing to do with sitting at my right hand or my left. That's, um, that's pretty heavy. And I don't know that they fully understood that at the time. They, they don't. They don't. They still don't understand. And, and as I said, even after the resurrection, there's still that. They, they, it's only after Pentecost, only when the Spirit comes, does it all begin to fall into place for them. And, and you're right. He's just said, "This is what I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit. I'm going to be flogged and killed. This is what you want. <laughs> that okay? And and like you said, that that is what you're going to get. That is what you're going to get. Although here's something I just learned, and, and thank you for choosing this text because I had not. Uh, studied this before, but but we know obviously that the cup here is, is the cup of suffering, right? Uh, in Psalm 78, it t- talks about the cup that the wicked of the earth shall drink down till they're dregs. And, and again, in Isaiah, you've drunk the dregs of the bowl, the cup of staggering, the cup of his wrath. Uh, baptism, too, is often an image of, of death, Oh, uh, I got that passage too. I just so people know that I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? It says. Uh, um, but the thing I didn't realize is that the cup can also it can also be a good thing. It can be a good thing, right? Uh, Psalm 23, my cup runneth over. Uh, Psalm 116, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Or my favorite is this one from Isaiah 51. I, I don't know how I'd never run across this before. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God who pleads the cause of his people, behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. So, so on the one hand, he is saying, gentlemen, you are going to suffer. Every one of you is going to suffer for me. Uh, but, but in the end, no, it, it'll still be all right. It'll still be okay. There will be something after the suffering, after the death, even as it will be for me, even as I keep telling you I'm going to be raised, which, of course, the Bible explicitly says they had no idea what that was about. <laughs> that was a total, total surprise to them that he would come back from the dead. But, um, and again, you know, applying it to me, I just, I just sometimes forget that that's the life of the Christian, too, that there are going to be times mm-hmm. in our lives where it's just going to be hard. And, and that's not a surprise. It doesn't mean God is punishing us or he's mad at us. It just means we're, we're in a sinful world, and, and, and the love of people in the sinful world will always, always be a challenge. Always, and, and, by the way, we are going to die. <laughs> if mm-hmm. anybody listening to us thinks that we have that glory, no, 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 we're all sinners, we're all going to die. But then again, that's why what Jesus is about to do is so important for these disciples and for you and me and for all of our listeners. Well, and there's great irony, too, when they say, oh, we are able to take that cup, that cup of <laughs> suffering that you talk about. We think of Matthew 26, 
Uh, Jesus himself says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. So even according to the human nature of Christ, who looks at the cup and says, this is something that, you know, by my own human nature, I don't want to participate in. And of course, he still willingly does out of his great love for us. But still, I think that shows us the seriousness of what what he's saying or what this cup is. And it, it reveals kind of the laughableness of, of their arrogance. Now, with that said, I want to make this clear, too. So when we kind of poke a little fun at these apostles and disciples, it's not there's no disrespect meant. I mean, these are the same guys in which we absolutely revere and, and uh, we are thankful to God for how he used them to bring us the message. But sometimes you got to shake the gold off the icons. And and for me, it brings me great comfort to know that they didn't always understand. So it's not about making fun of them. It's about actually reminding myself that they're human. I'm human. So whenever I'm not getting it or whenever I fall into that temptation I struggle against or or whenever I misunderstand even God's word, I, I, I'm, I'm in good company. Let's just say that. And, and see, is it that you're right? What, Pastor Boo, what a great thought. Isn't that a great comfort? And yet Jesus called him to be his disciples. He, he knew. That's right. He knew all along that none of these guys were really going to grasp what was happening. But that didn't matter because he was going to give them the understanding they needed. And he was going to be with them through all their trials and their struggles. And they were his beloved people. And that's why he chose them. And I hope everyone listening to us know that's how it is with us. We make a lot of mistakes. We do a lot of stupid things. We are sinful people. That's not just something Lutherans say. That's a reality. And isn't it remarkable that we are the ones that God says, hey, take, eat, and drink. This is for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. We are the ones he's chosen. And you're right. It's such a comfort to say, oh, yeah, that's pretty much how he works. And he said, he didn't come. He didn't come for those that are well. They don't need a doctor, but for the sick, for the sinner. Uh, So, yeah, good point. Well, I remember when I was in seminary, you know, you get in some of these classes and they're pretty, you know, they're pretty heavy duty classes. And I always oh, thought, yeah. I just, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And I think I might've expressed my concern with the professor. And he told me something I've repeated often since. And that was, well, the whole point of taking the class is so that we can teach you. No one's expecting you to come in knowing how to do it. Yeah. And for some reason yeah. that was, was in my head. It's like, oh, I have to know all this to take the class. And it's like, no. We're here to guide you. We're here to teach you. Jesus does the same thing. He doesn't want you, you know, trying to strive to be perfect or understand everything before coming to him. Come to him. You know, he, he will lead you into understanding. And I think that's, a, that's, that's great comfort to me a lot. And I don't know if people understand that that, that is the role of the pastor. And, and we are called to be the teachers and we are called to have knowledge. And, and we are called to preach the, the, the word to God's people. Uh, and so maybe people think, oh, yeah, well, they, they know it all. Uh, but, but you know, this is why every week that, that uh, you get out your Bible and you get out your Greek or your Hebrew and you spend time studying it because you understand, I, I don't know it all yet. And I don't know exactly what it is that I need, nor exactly what my people are going to need. But I sure know where I can get the answer to that. And it's not going to come from my imagination or my opinions but it's going to come from whatever the the Word of God says to me and what the Holy Spirit brings to me through that Word. So I hope that people understand, and I hope especially pastors understand, that you're right. It's a constant, constant growth, a constant learning. And, and it's so exciting, isn't it, Pastor Boo? Because you'll go to a text that you've maybe preached four or five times, and you'll, wow, look at that. 
but I didn't even see that. How could I not have seen that? <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Again, it's just what you said. It's just, the, it's just God. But, but here's the problem. If you're not going to that word of God, that, that can't happen. I'm sorry. He does not deliver this thing directly into our brain, but right. he always uses the means of the, the holy word of God. But you're right. He does it. He did it for them. He's going to do it for us, for everybody that's listening to us, too. In fact, maybe even now. You think, Pastor, maybe there's somebody that, that is growing a little deeper in their faith and their understanding because of uh, what you and I are doing. Well, I know I am. I, I Sometimes I feel like I'm always just one lesson ahead of those I teach, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> All right, folks, well, we're going to take a break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Lakomsky and I will keep on going through this text. We'll finish up Chapter 10 for you. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host. This is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend John Lakomsky, Pastor Emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics, also on KFUO Radio, and we're talking the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 10. Before we head back into the text, I just want to remind you once again that if you have any feedback or questions or comments, just reach out. You can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I'm always checking it during the show. You can find me at Facebook or you can call into the studio at 800-730-2727. Any of these methods can get your question or comment out on the air. All right, Pastor Lukomsky, we're back. And so now I think it's time to hear how the other 10 uh, disciples took it. Uh, picking uh, up with verse 41. And when the 10 heard it, that is what they had said, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would first among sorry, whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so that's uh, stopping on the end of verse 45. So Jesus just lays it down. That's not how my kingdom works. And and, and I'm glad you, you pointed out the fact that, that all the disciples are indignant. 
because, you know, so it's not like, you know, uh, the other guys are going, well, thank God we're not like, you know, uh, John and, and James here. Oh, no, we've never wanted to be. And, of course, they wanted it. Everybody wants the honor. Everybody wants the glory. And so now they're upset that these guys kind of push themselves forward, you know. Uh, so 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 that's the nice thing to know, that, that everyone's struggling with this problem. It's not just the problem of James and John or, or Peter and Andrew. Uh, and then, of course, like you said, and, and again, Pastor Boo, I'm thinking, has not Jesus dealt with this before? Hasn't he talked to us about the fact that it's not about greatness? It's not about glory? Uh, I, see, I, I don't know for sure because I, I have this overlap. I've been doing Matthew like you've been doing, and, and now we're in Mark here. Uh, uh, but, but I know I know there's other passages where he takes a child and puts them in front of him and says, you know, this, there's no great people in heaven. This is what it is to be in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to humble yourself like this little child. But as you said, they just, but see, it's also something that you kind of touched on earlier. Jesus is just so patient, isn't he? When we don't understand it, he just says, okay, let me give you some time then, because you will, you'll understand it before it's over. The sad thing is, is you might have to experience some really tough struggles and trials before you grasp it, because unfortunately our sin is so strong to, to give up the glory that's a really hard thing for us to do. Uh, and, and, you know, as I get older, that becomes more and more, I'm more and more conscious of that because I don't want to die. <laughs> okay. Right. There's nothing glorious in death. Let me tell you right now, <laughs> I've picked out my, my coffin. And I'm thinking, I didn't know. <laughs> I want to pick out a new car. I don't want to pick out a, <laughs> oh, but, no. <laughs> but, you, you, you know, but that's okay. The, the Lord is just so patient, just waits for us. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is, it is the truth. It's like it said here. It, it never was about the In fact, if you've been a Christian because you wanted to go to heaven, you've kind of missed the point. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven, but Christianity isn't about getting into heaven. Christianity right. is about faith in a God who loves us and then loving as he has loved us. That's what Christianity is about. And of course, the benefit is we, we get into heaven. But but no, it's as he said, it's about service. It's about him giving his life as a ransom for many. Isn't that a great passage, Pastor Boo? If you did not understand what Christianity is all about, there it is summarized in one verse in the Holy Scripture, giving his life as a ransom for many. Yeah. Well, and that's a message that we proclaim over and over. You know, when you said, didn't Jesus tell this to them before? The only thing I could think of is <laughs> someone come up to me once after a sermon and they said, Pastor, haven't you preached on this before? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know if you've been, it's like, I don't know if you've noticed, but I pretty much preach on the same thing every Sunday and I've done it for over a decade <laughs> that Jesus died for you. He loves you and, you know, go and sin no more. Um, it reminds me of that joke where the pastor comes into the church and he preaches a sermon and then he's a new pastor. And then the next week he preaches the same sermon. And then the third week he preaches the same sermon and people are starting to get a little concerned. Why does he keep preaching the same sermon? And someone goes up to him and they say, why do you keep preaching the same sermon? And he says, well, once you start listening and following that one, I'll preach a new sermon. (laughs) So that's, that's sometimes how it feels to be a pastor, but it's absolutely how it feels to be Jesus. I mean, how many times do I myself need to be told to, um, to follow his will and yet I, I don't always do that. And I don't always do it perfectly when I even when I try desperately. So, you know, we have to continually be reminded of the same things. We are not God. And, and, and thanks be to God 
he is not a high priest that is unfamiliar with who what it's like to be a human right he he is not yeah. unsympathetic to our weaknesses and that is where of course his great patience comes from but yeah the 10 they were mad and i think they were mad again perhaps they were putting on airs a little bit because you know well jesus is snapping at them and so now we're going to be mad about it but yeah. i think they're probably more mad that they didn't think of it first look at these guys yeah. trying to cut the line yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So they, they had the same visions of glory that everybody else had. And, and I'll tell you a, a real-life story that goes along with your joke, because uh, uh, we, we used to have an early sunrise service on Easter, so like at 6 o'clock, 6.30, and then we had a 9 o'clock service, and then we had a 10.30 service, and and, and I just preached the same sermon, <laughs> you know? But, but uh, we, we'd have a, we had breakfast or, or after the 10.30, a fellow came up and he'd say, you know, Pastor, I, I, I like all your sermons, but I really like the 10.30 sermon better than the one you preached at 6. Uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> it was the same sermon. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, you, you took him three times to get it. That makes sense. <laughs> and, oh, and here's the thing. If we got any clergy listening to us right now, and I don't mean to be mean, but but trust me, when I go to church, because that's what I do now, I spend a lot of Sundays sitting in the pew rather than preaching. And, and I realized I don't need anyone to come and give me practical advice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, if you will, if there's some good stuff in the Bible, sure. I'm open to hearing that. And we all need to have the guidance of the word of God. But usually when I come to church, I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about myself. I, I, I want to be reminded that no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what struggles and trials, I still have a God who loves me. Even if I'm the cause of the problems, if I did something that I still got a God who's going to back mm. me up and support me, I, I probably will have to suffer the consequences of my foolishness, as these disciples will. But let's face it, this, this desire for glory is going to cause them great pain within the next week when Jesus is taken away and he suffers and dies and everything happens just the way he says it. So, yeah, sometimes the Lord disciplines those that he loves. But, but man, for me, that's why I need to go to church, just to know that, okay, nothing's changed. That, that God who gave his life for me and for many, yep, he's still my God, and, and that'll always be that way. Your words are really encouraging to me as someone who's, you know, writing a sermon for this weekend, because, it, you know, we, let, let's be honest, as we practice our craft and hopefully get better at it, we, we like to pull out the obscure things and the, you know, the things that are really interesting and, oh, wow, you can add it to your trivia or maybe connect it in a yeah. new way. And that's always very fun, especially from our point of view. But you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, the message really is the same message that, as you said, that you have a God who loves you so much that he actually gave up his life for you. And that's important. And so they must have been shocked, really shocked, when Jesus said, even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. Uh, Even if he didn't say the give his life as a ransom part, even if he just left it there, the whole idea that the new David, the new Joshua is going to be a servant, that must have really just must have really messed him up. Well, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it mess us up too? Yeah. Because see, we we've used so much of life as to be in power, to be in control, to have other people serving us. Isn't that what life is all about? And then to have Jesus tell you, "No, that's your problem. That's where you've got everything reversed. It has nothing to do with. It has to do with us being servants of other people, of us asking ourselves, what can I do to to be of care and help to others? Again, with the understanding that's exactly how God's going to treat us every day." Um, but, 
yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. This is where everything – there. I'm going to say this, and if I'm wrong, I hope somebody calls, or you can you can do it right. You don't have to wait for somebody to call. You can correct me. I don't think there's any <laughs> other religion in the world that speaks this way. Is there? There is no other religion that says that, that it's about God serving us. So um, far as I know, it's all about appeasing an angry god or gods, yeah. or or tricking gods and uh, the old some of the old religions in order to get favor out of them. You know, Christ comes and he throws the whole whole universe on its head because human nature, of course, is the desire to rule over other humans and be served. And then God, of course, I mean, we even talk like that. I mean, maybe not Lutherans as much, but out in sort of Christendom, it's kind of always about going to church so that God will be pleased with you, going to oh. church so that you can, you know, give him your prayer and praise. Nothing wrong with that. But the, but the Lutheran, which I believe is the correct Christian understanding— is that no God serves you through this divine service? That's why we call it that. He wants to give you His gifts. Of course, you respond with prayer and praise, but it's not about checking off the box that you've been in church that week. It's about going and actually getting what God wants to get you. So, so my wife and I just completed a series of lectures about our creation myths, and and what struck me about all the creation myths is that in the end, God God's create people because they need the people to do something for them. Uh, before the creation of man, they were doing these things on their own, and they finally thought, well, shoot, let's, let's make some, some men, and then they can get our food, and they can serve us, and they can take care of us. And, and, and my understanding is the only, the only creation myth, it's not a myth, <laughs> but the only creation story that doesn't teach that is the creation story of, of Christianity and Judaism, where God actually makes man so he can serve them. In fact, the whole purpose of creation is so that they can be served. Uh, so I tell you what, I'm not trading my Christianity for anything. I don't care what glory you offer me. <laughs> you can't beat this stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Our God is such a great God. Well, let's go on to 46, though, because we're going to be changing now a little bit of the theme. We're going from, well, what is evidently spiritual blindness to some physical blindness. And I no doubt this is why this follows. All right, here we go, 46. And, and just a second, just because I, cause that's the point, isn't it? So here we've got a guy who's blind, and yet he actually sees so much better than what the disciples see. All right. Yeah, that's what's amazing about it. Let's hear it. So, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind me- uh, beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Okay, and that's the end of our text for the day, the end of chapter 10. Um, so we have blind Bartimaeus, lots of stuff even here. Probably can't do it justice in the time remaining. But the couple of things that stand out to me is obviously his profession of Jesus as the son of David. That's significant. And, and, and the other significant thing is to cry, have mercy on me. See, what, what, right, did, what, did, what did James and John want? Have glory on us. Right? We want glory. 
And, and with that very statement, isn't that kind of an understanding that we deserve it? That's why we come up. Because, you know, you know, Jesus, we're better than these other guys. But, but to cry out for mercy is to say, Jesus, I don't deserve anything. But I don't know where else to go. No one else is going to help me. I'm a blind man. I hear you. You can heal the sick. Have mercy on me. See, that's 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 the black. And of course, once you understand that the Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for many, that's exactly what you should cry for, isn't it? Because a ransom implies that you've been bound. You're you're off in slavery. Somebody's got to pay a price to get you free. Uh, uh, that's a thing of mercy. Uh, so that's that. Yeah, it, it, you're right. He he's, he understands exactly what Jesus is all about. He is the Son of God. He is the Redeemer. But the Redeemer doesn't come to establish some earthly king. And what, what good would an earthly king do, a man like blind Bartimaeus? Right? Not a thing. No, he wouldn't the care. The Son of David, the Son of David, the one who can give mercy. Yeah, that could be of help if you are a man who is born blind. One of our listeners, Ryan, writes in from Facebook, and he brings up a good point. He says, this reminds me of the whole concepts of the theology of glory versus the theology of the cross, how it's not about our strength, but what happens when we, uh, or sorry, he says, not about our strength, and he points out what happens when we allow it to be about us and we fail, we get into despair. But when the focus is on Jesus, his strength and his work, his glory, that's the truth. So yeah, this concept of the theology of glory and the theology of the cross, which Ryan, the listener, brings up, that's something that is absolutely not unique to Lutheranism, but it's certainly something that I think Luther had a hand in reviving this understanding, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and and see, here's the really cool thing about the theology of the cross. See, sometimes we do despair, but even when we despair, we're, we're not hopeless. Because Jesus despairs. Jesus says, as you, you said earlier, I don't want this cup. Take this cup away from me. Well, no, no, the cup is yours to drink. Jesus cries out, my God, why have they all forsaken me? But you see, in the theology of glory, then it's all lost, then it's all gone, then there's nothing anymore. But in the theology of the cross, it's like, oh, oh, so I can do that. I can despair. I can cry out. And it, it's, no, God is still with me. He hasn't abandoned me. See, again, I don't know any other religion, any other philosophy, where you can get that kind of comfort. And every other philosophy, as soon as you've got struggles and trials, well, the comfort is gone. Uh, but in, in, in Christianity, no, no, you, that's, it, it's still there, maybe even more powerfully than it is when everything's going well, as you alluded earlier. Uh, in a world where everybody's Christian, everybody's happy, there really isn't much, much room then for faith, is there? for, for uh, the truth that God is the one who came to give his life as a ransom and to be servant. Um, well, and I love how, you know, not only does he identify him in messianic terms, the son of David, not only does he recognize that he needs this son of David's mercy, but everybody's rebuking him. Be silent. <laughs> you know, you Jesus doesn't want to talk to you. Go sit, and, and you have to imagine, folks, that he's outside the city. He's sitting on the that you know, sort of on the curb outside the gates, and, and probably begging. And and so they're like, you know what? This is the riffraff. When the president of the United States comes into town, an advance team comes like a week early and clears out all those people in real life. And, and, yeah. and, and, and you, that's, and that's basically what they're doing here. They're like, no, this guy's important. Why are you bothering him? And I love his, he's, he's like, no, no, this is my shot 
I'm within earshot of the son of God. By goodness, I'm going to get his attention. And again, not out of arrogance, as we've seen, but out of, well, that desperation. Desperation is bad, but when it leads us to the cross, then God's able to use that for good. And and and, and Pastor Boone, thank you for, for reminding us. Because, see, I had, I, had, I had forgot about that. Again, no wonder these guys are asking, can we sit on your right and your left? Because they are surrounded by this great entourage of all these pilgrims who are convinced that Jesus Christ is going to go in and get rid of the Romans and the corrupt Jewish leaders and establish this new holy kingdom of Israel. And so you're right, we don't have any time for you blind beggars. No, see, you're right, the whole focus, and that's what happens when the focus is on glory. The people that we're supposed to be loving and care for, we push them off to the side because they have nothing to do with glory but as, as, as christ demonstrates here no this is who i've come for <laughs> i don't need any earthly glory but i will extend my salvation because that's what's also needed in this text it says in the english you well doesn't it say that uh yeah uh, your faith has made you well but yep. it actually sowed so your faith has saved you. It's done a lot right. more. You are well. I'm not denying that. You have recovered the sight, as it says. But now you got something better than that, because you now understand about the Son of Man coming to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm glad uh, you brought little, up, by the way, yeah. I'm glad you brought up, sorry to interject, but the, the, that the word yep. there is sozo, not just being healthy, but literally yep. to rescue from danger, to 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 be safe, to be delivered, yeah. to be saved, as you said. And that's so much more important because Jesus has made it clear that there really is no difference between forgiving someone their sins and healing them, since, of course, the illness is the product of sin uh, or sinfulness in the world. One thing I found a little bit interesting, and I know we're running out of time, but that is that um, Jesus in the past, like with the deaf uh, man, um, or even the in the past with the with the other blind man, he does something. You know, he spits on their tongue, or he, he he heals their he sticks his fingers in their ears, or he makes them put mud on their eyes. Uh, this kind of just goes to show you that that sort of ceremony, the power lies within Jesus, because he just in this instance, and maybe because he's making his way to Jerusalem, he just says, "Yes, yeah, you're healed, you're done, taken care of." N- none of the dramatics. Well, well, the difference between the two blind men, and, and this is what's really striking about the other blind man story, that blind man doesn't know who Jesus is. Right. <laughs> you know, he gets healed, and he doesn't, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus has to come back to him and, and say who he is. Uh, uh, and, and here the guy does know. He does know. But see, the remarkable thing there is when it comes to the physical healing, because, man, there's so many people out there that say, oh, well, you know why you're sick. You know why you're in the hospital. And by the way, pray for me because I'm going into my cardiologist Thursday, and I may I may need to have a stress test. I don't know; something's just Ooh. not right. But 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 uh, see, the point is, Jesus Jesus does physical healing all the time. You don't need to have faith for him to physically heal. How do you think everybody in the hospital is getting healed right now? He's healing them, okay. And whether they believe in him or not, he heals them. But but that's what we have here. This is something better. This is something bigger than giving a blind man sight. This man has faith. He knows about a God who has mercy on him. And, and see, that's the great thing, to know that even if you are blind, you've still got the love of God for you. That doesn't change. But in this case, in order, I think, don't you think, to give one last miracle before he goes into Jerusalem, to let everybody know that I'm not going to suffer and die because I'm just a weak human. 
No, I am indeed the son of David, you know, and I have that power. And so if I suffer and die, you got to understand that's because I set that aside because I've come to give my life as a ransom for you, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. I didn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, here we are then toward the end of our show, and, well, you know, we have Jesus. He's both addressing the issues of spiritual blindness and physical blindness, even though he's, he apparently has very has spiritual clarity. I, what's the opposite of blindness? Anyways, he can see spiritually. He can see Jesus. At, at, but what happens next, of course, is he's going to be now going to Jerusalem. I mean, that's where yeah. he's been going, but he's going to get there uh, in our next lesson. Um, anything else for today before we wrap things up, brother? Well, again, I, I, you know, the way that you have divided this up was just perfect because now we're set to go into Jerusalem, and now we understand why he's going into Jerusalem. If you thought he was going, as as many people obviously did, they thought he was going in to become this new great earthly leader. No, no, that's not what he was going into Jerusalem for. That's not what he's in our lives for. If, if you thought being a Christian was so you could be really rich and famous and have lots of money and have nothing but happiness. And, no, no, uh, here's what you signed up for is to serve, right? That's what you're supposed to do, to serve, to be of help, to care, and to understand that you don't need to do that so that God will love you. No, he will do that because he already loves you. Yeah, he's already paid his life a ransom for you. So you don't need to worry about doing anything to get God to love you. And now you can just focus on, on loving the people that are around you. So there you go. Yeah, amen to that. Well, folks, we're going to go ahead and bring it to an end, but I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend John Lukomsky. He's the pastor emeritus and co-host of Wrestling with the Basics on KFUO. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. And, and Pastor Boo, I love working with you, too. You, you have the gospel, and, and, and it's so exciting, and, and it's a lot of work for you. I hope people understand it's a lot of work for you to do a pastor thing and then do this as well but thank well, you i don't know if i don't know if you ever have guests on uh wrestling with the basics but uh, you know i i'll come on and talk with you and matt so we should do it one day all right that sounds like that would be a great idea Pastor. <laughs> that sounds great brother Blessings well, to you. folks tomorrow's episode takes us into chapter 11 and we ask the question what would jesus do only to find out that the possibilities include proclaiming judgment against the wicked and overturning tables in the temple so learn what all this means tomorrow right here on Thy Strong Word. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in Thy Strong Word.